Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Ultra Maps bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Ultra Map food editor Eric Sandler. We're doing things a little bit differently for this week's show. I have two very special guests from far beyond the boundaries of Houston, but they are two people I'm very excited to talk to. Gentlemen, let me introduce you separately so people can hear your voices. He is the chef and owner of Burnt Bean Co., an award-winning barbecue restaurant in Seguin, Texas. Ernest Cervantes, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty pumped about this show. I'm excited you're here. He is an acclaimed photographer whose work has appeared in publications across the country and around the world. Robert Jacob Lerma, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Eric. All right, gentlemen, we've been talking about doing this for a long time. I mean, Robert, you've you've traveled the country and and really the world on behalf of barbecue, but you and Ernest have a very special friendship. So, so just start at the beginning. Tell me, how did the two of you meet and become such close friends? You know, as I get a little older, I don't even recall the exact date when we when we met. If you would have asked me this five years ago, I would, I would have gave you the date, the time, the location, what, what and what pants he was wearing, if he was wearing pants at all. Very true. But it's been at least 13, 14, 14 years uh, that I've known this guy. Um, you know, as I've traveled the country shooting barbecue, you know, part of that was on the competition circuit. So before Ernest was his thing, and he'll kind of get into that a little bit, he was rocking and rolling on the competition circuit. And that's how I kind of encountered him the first time. Could be wrong. Could have been in a club. Could have been in jail. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ernie. I thought it was the first time I met you was we were getting hot dogs in Tijuana, Mexico. But I don't know. We were at a boys town or something like that. I thought it was. He told us we hey. have to be like PG-13 here. Oh, yeah. So I'll, oh, I'll yeah. try to be on good that, here. On, on that event, yeah, we met at a cook-off. Yeah, you know, I don't – you know, when you said that, I remember, I remember hanging out with you and Sierra – but I think one of my first memorable things when we went to that one, um, well, no, before that too, you know, we went to, uh, we went to uh, Truth and Brenham and all that stuff too. And we used to ride together. But one of my favorite ones was, was when we went to that, um, what ball was that? The butcher's ball or something? Oh, yeah. The first, the first one. Yeah. yeah. But I've known you before, but then after that, I think we started hanging out more and more. Uh, and then we became closer friends. And then, Closer, closer, and then we start traveling all over the world, and it's a lot of fun. But uh, those are my friends. We're borderline dating at this point, I think. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> no, I mean, Ernest has cooked it. You know, when I started off this like backyard barbecue series, he was one of the first of my buddies to come cook in my backyard, which is kind of funny because my whole thing with that was like, hey, I want to cook for all my friends who've who've like laid the way and show them thanks and all these assholes just couldn't be still. So they jumped in and started cooking and just, and it became a thing. So, and that was, oh, that was 19. I think that was 19. And then. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm a hundred percent certain that I met Ernest for the first time in your backyard. Oh yeah. I that, remember that it was, I served you a taco of BD, I think before BD was cool. Yeah. You know that I mean? sounds right. And, and Lerma <laughs> was like, oh, yeah, this is the best. This is the best pit master that like, people don't know about yet, but they're, they're going to. And I, I ate that taco and I was like, I, I believe it based on this, based on what I'm eating. Yeah. You know, I think all of us who know Ernie knew from the onset, from the time meeting him, 
he was destined to do something. I mean, you know, you think of those like that those times in like Shawshank Redemption, like you know, two some birds are are too whose feathers are too colorful to be caged in, and he was kind of caged in in this corporate world. And I mean, whether it was going to be competition going all in there, I mean that, I mean that's I suppose has a path, but we all knew he was going to do something, and when it was, you know, we didn't know. Uh, and then when he kind of embarked on this pop up tour to kind of like you know get the get the word out on burnt bean this fucking guy didn't even let me go eat at his pop-ups for two years because he he refused to like let me try his food yeah that's true he was like can i come over i'm like no can i come over now no can i come over now i'm like no i say dude i will let you know when it's ready because you know me being a perfectionist as well as you know having larma his high standards i didn't want his first impression of me transitioning from a competition barbecue guy to uh you know true barbecue or two artists in Texas barbecue. It took some time. I was happy with the food, but it wasn't anywhere near what it is now. But I didn't want him to go out there and his first impression would be like, meh. So, uh, yeah, I worked on it for two years, and I'm like, all right, dude. I don't even know. I think he just showed up. I don't even think I allowed him to show up. He just said, fuck it. I'm coming over, like it or not. So he showed up, yeah. and I'm like, all right. So I got to feed the guy. I so. just got tired of you know all these, all these fucking people posting pictures of Ernest's food at a pop-up and I'm here, you know, my house or my dark room by myself, you know, all the blinds closed, you know, all depressed. Cause I'm, I'm the only one out there. All yeah. my friends are there. They're like, Oh, this is, this looks great. And I'm calling. I'm like, Hey, can I come by? Can I come by? He's like, no, it's not ready. It's not ready. I was like, you know what? Fuck this guy. I'm just going to show up. <laughs> and if he kicks me out, he kicks me out. Yeah. yeah sometimes I, like I, I do that with restaurant soft opening. Sometimes I just show up and see if they'll, they'll throw me out or not. Usually. Usually they find a table for me, which is which is comforting. Uh, I mean, I spent like I think that the night before, like Roadhouse on repeat, getting pumped, kind of pumped up and hyped up. In the event there was some resistance at the pop up, I was going to be ready to go. But you know, <laughs> he let me in. He was a little busy. Yeah. All right. Well, take 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 a half a step back and talk to me about your journey in barbecue. How did you get started on the competition circuit? Because you know, I we said this on the show before. It's kind of one thing to make barbecue in your backyard for your family and friends. It's another thing to think, oh, this is really good, and I can go like win money making it for strangers. And then it's another thing even to charge people to eat it. So, so tell me a little bit about how you how you kind of got bit by the barbecue bug. Um, my neighbor was uh, my neighbor Dale. He was like, dude, have your he goes your barbecues the best barbecue I ever had. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And uh, he's like, have you ever thought about competing? I don't even know what competition barbecue was. And he's like, dude, I'm going to sponsor you in a cook-off. And I'm like, well, what do you got to cook? And he's like, you got to cook like a brisket, a slab of ribs, and a half chicken, and I'll pay for it all. I, I just, he goes, he just believed in me. He's like, dude, I think you have some of the best barbecue out there. And I'm like, all right, let's sign up. And uh, sure enough, and I just took my little barrel that I got from HGB and, and a couple other things. And I think we had more beer than anything else. And uh, we went out there and there was like 60 teams and there was some elaborate rigs and we're just two numbskulls out there with my best friend. Uh, and we set up and uh, we won. So after that, I got bit and it was the rest is history. And then I really got into it. And uh, at the time there was two other cooks that cooked. Uh, but as, as the progression got on and I kept on winning and they kept on like screwing around I just kicked them off the team and uh, I focused on myself and said, if I'm going to get better, I have to do everything on my own. And, and that's what I did. 
And I did that for a good seven, eight years, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, seven, I'd say seven strong years, uh, eight. And then after that, I started uh, really starting to want to train transitions to to the real side of pop-ups and and eventually trying to go to uh, to sell my own barbecue. But for seven, eight years, I dominated and, uh, in Texas and around the country. So that's where it was. And I think, I think uh, Lerma had a lot to do with it because he would go and take pictures and stuff like that. But as he transitioned, I, I, I remember, I always remember when he started transitioning to more and more barbecue joints and being educated more on true barbecue, i.e. Truth and Mueller's and, and he would travel all over the country. I noticed that his his uh, demeanor changed towards competition barbecue and didn't really like it anymore. And uh, and I understood he was like, meh, and he started getting more turned off. And then when I started doing my transition, I understood. And I, I'll remember the day I transitioned. I said, now I understand why you went from competition barbecue to the purity of what real barbecue is uh, because we don't put so many phosphates and injections and everything. And it's all about the meat and the wood and the seasoning. And I rem- I'll always remember when, when, when he changed and then I changed years later and I totally understood because I don't even have any ambition to go to competition barbecue and there's nothing wrong with it, but it's so different and it's so beautiful when you eat the real deal. You know, well, yeah, explain, time. explain that for people just because I, I don't think they understand. They see, you know, the rodeo is coming up here in Houston. There's a big cook-off associated with that. Right. But it's a um, totally different style of barbecue than what they experience in restaurants. It's, it's day and night. You know, uh, as an entrepreneur, as, as a businessman, you want to have good barbecue that you want this person to eat a whole pound of barbecue or three or four ribs. Uh, competition barbecue, you can literally have a bite of a rib or a bite of uh, chicken or a bite of brisket because it's so rich that you just it's so overwhelming. It's good, but it's too rich. You know, we use you know, Wagyu's and A5's, uh, you know, our briskets. I remember some of our briskets used to cost $300 a brisket for competition. You know what I mean? And uh, because we want that, because you, all the judges get is one bite. You have to literally put all your eggs in that one bite to blow them out of the water because if not, you're screwed. Uh, it's not, you know, you, you know, I'd rather eat, you know, a pound of ribs than a butter rib. And the same thing with ribs and same thing with chicken and same thing with pulled pork or or however you did your box with the money muscle and stuff. It is day and night. It has nothing to do with the purity of it. It's more of what, honestly, it's the best meat that tastes cold. It, it literally is. And it's, and it's crazy because, you you know, you cook a whole brisket and then you you find three perfect slices and put it in a styrofoam box for the turn-in. And mm-hmm. that, you know, the rest of it, I mean, I don't even know what happens to the rest of it. The, most of it's thrown, uh, not thrown away, but given away, I guess, because you got a lot of, you know, like bar flies, there's uh, there's barbecue flies, we call them, people just coming around your area and buzzards and, you know, you just slice it up and throw it out there because the last thing you're going to, you're not going to pack it up and take it home. Uh, but uh, yeah, and it, it's literally like that, six slices and a couple of burn-ins or in Texas, I think it's seven. I haven't, I haven't cooked in some time, but that's it. And, and, and you're on to the next one and you're on to the next one, but um, that barbecue is day and night, you know, um, but uh, yeah. And I wanted to transition and me being a chef and me being uh, my dream was always to open a restaurant, but uh, I didn't know when. So I just said, screw it and let's do it. And of course, let's do it during COVID. I mean, what the fuck is that all about? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, let's do it during COVID. But I said, if you can't survive during COVID, then you have no business opening a restaurant. You know, 
um, that's what I did. Well, how did you wind up in Seguin? I worked in Seguin. Actually, I was based out of Seguin. Um, I was a corporate chef based out of Seguin at Texas Lutheran. So I was there for like 16 years. So, um, you know, I, I knew the area. Actually, I, I knew Seguin more than New Braunfels. And I lived in New Braunfels for 20, well, 21, 22 years. So, um, you know, uh, when there was rumors going around, I was already doing pop-ups and there was rumors going around. I was going to open a restaurant in New Braunfels, uh, Seguin. I, I even remember taking Lerma to the original place I was going to open it at. And uh, I was, you know, these guys are like, okay, this is going to be cool. But then uh, I don't know who told the, the city and the city's like, you're not going anywhere. You know, we're going to do whatever it takes for you to help develop downtown. And, uh, you know, this is where you belong. So um, I ended up in Seguin and the rest is history. I mean, I will say having made my first trip there finally a couple months ago, it, it has that small town feel. I mean, it reminds me of, you know, Louis Miller or, you know, Luling City Market or, or any of those places because it's it's right there on Main Street. I mean, it's right there in the middle of the, of this downtown. I mean, it's it's really charming in that way. Um, tell, tell me a little bit about kind of kind of your relationship with Seguin and, and how you've kind of evolved there in the in the couple of years you've been open. You know, I've been with, I've been a part of the, the community, like I said, for so long. Um, but I really didn't have that other than you know doing chef guest, special guest chefs, some some fun stuff here and there. But um, you know, with the city, and then once we opened Burnt Bean, I think the reason why is we ended up getting a new mayor and a new city uh, city council as well as a new city manager, uh, C. Parker, that really wanted to develop downtown and bring it back to, because it had a stigmata about being in Seguin and they brought the best and they wanted some people that wanted to help Seguin grow in the, in the aspect of tourism, because at the end of the day, Seguin is a big industrial park and uh, we have a lot of big factories out there and it's not so much tourism, but if we can bring someone into town because everybody just relates to Seguin as a pit stop on I-10 on the way to San Antonio or pit stop on our way to, you know, Houston. And, uh, you know, there's much more to Seguin than just a pit stop. And we wanted to bring that. We wanted to bring people to a cute, it's, it's beautiful downtown. And uh, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to put Seguin on the map. I mean, Robert, let me let me bring you back into this. I mean, you, you knew Ernest when he was on the competition circuit. You went to his pop-ups. You, you followed his journey as he got ready to open the restaurant. What have you seen in his food as he's kind of, become the the chef that he is now so i'll say that i think ernest was the first person in, in collegiate um who was taking nil money they they try to keep him at texas lutheran forever <laughs> before it was cool uh but you know again just you know i knew his passion again i've been blessed to be around a lot of great chefs who cook great food but it's few and far between people who actually match him at that level of passion and and kind of endurance I and mean, there's certain people who can put it together for for a sprint but this this barbecue game is a marathon and you know touching on what what Ernest said about competition is you know I think I had this evolution I think my when I so when I started my first bite of great brisket was from Bobby Miller in 2005 at, at Louis Miller you know, him and him and him and Lance Kirkpatrick, who's at Style Switch, you know, gave me this piece of meat. And, you know, having grown up for the most part in Southern California, my family's from South Texas, I bounced back and forth. I I had for the most part tri-tip. I didn't have brisket. I had my mom's brisket every now and then. 
which he cooked the fuck out of. You know, I had brisket from from backyard, but nothing like that. And then there's this kind of arc where I started getting involved in competition. And I started to see uh, not necessarily shortcuts that then okay, they were shortcuts. And and so I, after I had this like foundation of like reverence to history, and I'm like the stickler for this culture and 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 this sometimes multi-generational familial uh, uh involvement in these places, then I see, you know. Again, people who do whatever the fuck they want. I'm not gonna tell them how to cook. But when I see, you know, they're pellet smokers, they're they're injecting briskets like, you know, you know, like a person in the ICU unit at a hospital, they have all these gadgets attached to it, and they're cooking for one bite. And I see this this sometimes waste of food. So I had this like cognitive dissonance kind of occur where I was like, this is not like something that that I'm getting. Maybe I don't fully understand it. So I'm going to kind of move back towards where I started in in like the traditional world where I started really paying attention. And I, and I think, you know, a lot of it for that, that kind of that other pivot back was one was a conversation with Allison, Allison Cook, which chewed me out, you know, talking to me about a, a picture I took at City Market saying, you know, how much it reminded her of a memory. And then but really sitting down with Wayne Mueller talking about, you know, almost like I had this duty to to tell stories about these places. And then if it wasn't me, then who? And then, you know, once, once these people pass, you know, there's not going to be a documented history. So I really started to kind of dig in on, on these places. And then, you know, on the periphery, I have all my really best friends and, and Ernie's one of them. So I start, you know, sharing exciting things that I'm into. I was like, Hey, I went to this place. I went to this place, went to this place. We should go to this place. And all of a sudden we start traveling. And I think he starts more so to, to get it and understand it. And, and, you know, Funny thing, coincidentally, you know, we, we obviously we had this uh, funeral for John Brotherton this weekend. And I remember having the same conversation with, with John in 2013, 14, where he was going traveling around all these places in, in Texas and reviewing them. And I told John, I was like, I think you're, I think you're missing the mark. First off, I can't go to all these places. I'm jealous that you can go to all these places. But while you're there, I think it would probably better suit you, knowing the personality you are, to sit down with them. And talk to them about, you know, how they kind of got started, you know, their process for cooking versus, hey, this brisket sucks, this, these ribs suck, this, this sausage is this. And, and to me, at the end of the day, it, it was all kind of tying it back towards what I learned early on sitting down with Wayne or sitting down with some of these old timers. And barbecue was, was never about this competition aspect. It was always about community and family and, you know, bringing people together on, on one weekend a month because that's all they could afford or one time a week. And it reminded me of like this, this Sunday church potluck aspect. So I started to, to, to lose interest in the competition aspect across the board and more so what was the feel at these places? What, what kind of memories did it evoke for me? And, and, and which in turn, how can I frame these images in a way that tells a story to people who have one, haven't been there ever or or two they haven't been there in a long time it's going to make them want to come back or make them think about the time they were there before and i think it's it's ongoing because i don't know if i'm ever going to hit all the places but the, the more i kind of learn about it, the more it's just romantic to me and or what ernest is doing is almost it's unheard of you know to open up a place with that type of feel in a downtown that you know let's be quite honest it, it needed some work you know he's almost like the catalyst to Seguin going through this kind of renaissance. Whereas, you know, I remember going to that building in, in New Braunfels and that was a great building, but 
you're where you, you, you're supposed to be. And now you have the backing of that city and you, you can pretty much open whatever the fuck you want, but you know, what your, your place is so important to that town. And I think that transcends anything you cook on Sunday or Tuesday or, wh- or whenever you cook, because what you're doing for that community is so important. People go into that place and they leave with smiles on their face. People travel to that place from out of the damn country mm-hmm. to eat your food. And they're not going to Seguin for Seguin. They're going to Seguin because of burnt bean. Right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you've, you've given me so many, so many different directions to riff off of. You know, I was, I was planning to ask you about John Brotherton at some point. Since you brought him up, I mean, I, you know, he passed away recently. He was, you know, I didn't, I didn't know him as well as, as either of you did, obviously. But yeah, he was reviewing places. He was traveling to places. But he was also like an incredible sort of cheerleader and disseminator of knowledge for other pitmasters as they were getting started or they were coming up or they were, you know, because he had been to all these places and he had observed the different techniques and styles and, and could communicate that to people. And, you know, if, if you, if you were at a barbecue event and John Brotherton was there, it's a pretty good sign that it was a good event uh, from my perspective. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a couple of people that you want to see eventually at your barbecue joint. Uh, the first one that you always want to see is John Brotherton. If he comes to your place when you open, cause he's heard good things and he eats your food, you want him to try it. Uh, Hiroshi is another one. And then of course, Daniel Vaughn, and then the, if you have the honor and the blessing, I always said this, and I think, and I don't know if Lerma even knows it, but if Lerma shows up to your place and takes pictures of you, you've made it. You know what I mean? That's 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 the bottom line. And yes, he's my best friend, but at the same time, he never just lightly came in and took pictures. It, it, it went in those stages of those three people. You know, it, it was always John Brotherton was the first one there. Uh and one, he's there for support. Two, he's there because he's like how you said he's our cheerleader ambassador. But three, he'll he'll keep it he'll keep it real. Uh, you know, he'll tell you what you're working on if you need to work on anything. Because uh, you know, uh, Daniel Vaughn will do the same. But I think we 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 um, we look forward to having uh, John Brotherton. The first time you see Daniel Vaughn there, you're kind of you're like shell shocked. You're like, oh shit, he's here, and that intimidation. But when you see someone like John Brotherton that was a familiar face that would give you honest feedback and, and, and uh, be your number one supporter. Um, that's what made him so special. People don't understand that if there was an ambassador, a true ambassador, when they think of Texas barbecue in the country right now, it would be Tootsie. Let's keep it real. It'd be Tootsie. Uh, another iconic person would probably be Aaron Franklin uh, in this era, but if you want to ask every barbecue pit master or whatever, a barbecue joint in Texas, who is the biggest person that could represent us as a barbecue community? 99% of it would probably be John Brotherton. And that's how much respect we gave him. That's how much respect he's, he's earned. And that's how much respect we loved him. And that's what made him so special is that he could just go there. He could, if there was ever a battle or a civil war against barbecue guys. He's the one that can make the peace because that guy was respected. And it was because he had a big heart. The guy would be there without a doubt, you know, and the same thing vice versa. Uh, you know, he, he'd be like, you know, if he asked you, if he asked you to come like, where am I learn? I never say no to, but if he asked, Hey, Ernest, I need a favor. It'd be like, where and when that's the bottom line. That's how much we loved and respect him. And me too. 
And uh, I'll always remember one time something happened at the Texas A&M barbecue camp. And he's like, dude, I had someone uh, bail out. Is there any way you can do the round table? He goes, I'm going to pick one. I'm like, I'm on my way. And then he called me halfway to Brian. And he's like, never mind. They're here. I'm like, okay, well, I won't go. But uh, he, he was loved. And he was loved because of his big heart. He was loved because he was respected. But I don't know if they'll ever make another John Brunson. That's the crazy part. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I think what he did was so special and and you know unique in the in the true sense of the word that I I can't imagine that there's going to be someone else who kind of comes into this world and and takes his place. You know, the other thing I I did kind of want to ask you about is you just got nominated for uh, you're a James Beard Award semifinalist for a Standing Chef, which is a national award, maybe the the single most prestigious award uh, that yeah. they give out every year. You were a finalist last year for Best Chef Texas. You know, you mentioned Aaron Franklin as kind of one of the faces of Texas barbecue. And I would agree with that. And when and when Aaron was the first Texas barbecue person to win a James Beard Award for Best Chef Southwest, it it really marked a moment for Texas barbecue in in kind of getting that respect as like a legitimate culinary endeavor. And and I do think that there is something sort of fitting that, that you could be that next person as like the new generation. This is the new face. This is where barbecue is going. And I, I just, you know, I don't, I don't mean to like kiss your ass too much, but, but tell me a little bit about kind of getting that recognition and, and how you feel about being in this position potentially. Man, you know, you know, this is, it's been, it's been an honor to ask, and you can ask Arma. I remember, I remember whenever we got number four, um barbecue joint in texas and we were uh really really elated and ecstatic and everything and uh, alarm was like you know he came and gave me a big old hug and he's like dude i'm so proud of you and i always told him i'm not i'm not where i'm supposed to be until i get my first james beard nomination because as a as, as a barbecue guy that is the biggest honor but me as a chef you just want to be nominated one time and that's it you know what i mean to win it is the icing on the cake but just to have that and say that you know, I'm a James Beard nominated chef, uh, semifinalist. And then later that year, we got our first one. And then last year we were semifinalists. I mean, we we're finalists. And now this one, so that's three in a row. And um, that that is huge. Um, I, I don't know if you can see in my background, this is my family uh, dining table, our formal fine dining room. And we have pictures of the burnt bean, the first picture ever. And next to it is my first James Beard. Oh, there it is. Yeah, right there. <laughs> you know, you're good in that frame. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it, it's funny how those are the things. But, you know, I, I, and I told Lerma this, and my whole thing was I wanted to change the new direction and the new perception of barbecue. And I wanted, and my biggest thing was it's okay if we can make it cool. You understand what I'm saying? You know, Texas has so much straight tradition of barbecue. We wanted to make it to the point where we can make it cool. And you have so many great guys making it cool now. And I, I you know, I, I wanted to bring it to another level that it's just not your normal mundane cookie cutter stuff, which you would expect. It's something bigger. And I think that's what we're, that's what I want to do. And I think a lot of guys are seeing it and, and, and we're trying to elevate it to a different kind of cuisine. That's like, damn, okay. Barbecue is not what barbecue used to be. And, um, and it's really cool. Um, you got so many demographics from, you know, KG Barbecue to Blood Brothers 
to Leroy Lewis, you know, to the guys in the Valley killing it, um, ourselves. Um, there's so many great barbecue guys, but we wanted to bring it to another level and, and to be nominated for this, this last time, um, last week, it was funny because, um, you know, my partner was like, Hey man, I think they have the James Beard thing today. And I'm like, we ain't going to get it. You know, we just got it last year. So he went straight to the best, best in Texas. And we looked at all the barbecue joints and we're like, what heroes? And we're like, Oh, that's cool. He's like, well, I'm like, I wasn't expecting it. And then I think it was Daniel Vaughn or some, I don't know who it was that said, dude, congratulate him. Like we didn't get it. And then they said, no, you're part of the outstanding. And for us to see a barbecue joint, there in the top 20 of the most outstanding chef, which you said, and I agree is the most prestigious. It really hit me. And I, I don't think I've ever really felt a sense of accomplishment like that ever. And, and it just really brought it home. And of course I cried like a, a big baby, but I always cry. So, um, but it was, it was a hell of an honor. And, 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 you know, if it doesn't go any further than that, I'd be okay. But no one can take that away from me now. You know, being nominated for a semifinalist for most outstanding chef of the country, no one can take that away from me. And 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 to say we did it with barbecue, not fancy linens and tin course meals, but with butcher paper, wood, and the minimalistic seasoning, and try to incorporate something simplistic but beautiful, is pretty big. Well, yeah, I mean, I I feel a little bit we're we're kind of hopping all over the place, but but we're half an hour into this, we really haven't talked about the restaurant. So you have this competition experience. You you have some sense. You've done some pop-ups. You kind of understand what your perspective on barbecue is. But just explain that a little bit. I mean, what what are you doing at Burnt Bean Co.? Like, what's traditional and what's not traditional? Just for for anybody who hasn't been there yet, kind of how do you how do you explain it? I mean, I'll be honest with you, Eric. I'm doing whatever the fuck I want. You know what I mean? I want to. I want to. I, I, you know. I, I, I said going into this whole project was I'm not going to screw up the f- top four things, brisket, ribs, and turkey, and traditional sausages. Now we have our own, our own, which is El Cinco, but I'm not going to mess with these. But everything else, I'm going to do whatever I feel like eating. Like, seriously, you know, sometimes I got a craving for something, I'll throw it out there. Uh, the sides, I wanted to make them unique. The two things that are standard at our place are a potato salad and our beans. But everything else, I'm I'm gonna feed you what the fuck I want, honestly. And I, if I got a crave for you know dirty rice with smoked barbacoa, I'm gonna do it. If I got a crave for Poppin' Johns with my homemade, you know homemade tasso, we're gonna do it. If I got you know if I got different cravings, I'm gonna do it. But what I've been doing lately is I've been really, really looking into the history of Texas cuisine in the in the early times when you know everybody talked about barbecue and the German heritage and how they used to make briskets and things like that, but they never told you about the sides, you know, the sides of the different uh, regions. And, and that's what we're, we're learning. And that's what we've been developing. That's what we've been using um, uh, with, with, with the cuisine that we're doing too. We're doing old school style sides that people kind of forget about that. They used to accompany this old barbecue that they used to have. And that's what we're doing. But yeah, sides, I, I love doing sides, the desserts, everything's executed to what I want to feed you, man. It's like, if I'm in the mood for something, I'm going to do it. And uh, we do it and we try to execute it as good as possible. And uh, yeah, man, <laughs> you know, but it's well, always, it's always like I tell people, our menu is always, there's always something new on there. There's always something to keep everybody 
we're not complacent. We're not boring. We're always keeping up with the edges. We're always doing something new. We're always doing something seasonal. Um, but it, it's just good, but not, it doesn't look like we're trying too hard. If you know what I mean, you've been to places where you've gone and the menu just looks like they're trying too hard. And uh, now it just goes, man. So Eric, let, let me just kind of t- tack on that. Um, I think so often in, in, in the food writing world, and I mean, it just in general, I think there's this tendency to, to define and like, let, let's, let's categorize whatever subject it is, whether it be music, food or, 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 or movies. I think for, for me, if I'm looking at Ernest's food, uh, the basis we we could probably all agree that the basis, the foundation is is a Texas style, but it is drawing from so many influences, his South Texas roots and culture. You know, be, being with his his you know grandparents and his and his you know parents growing up, where he's drawing from, you know, dishes his father made him growing up. And then you and then on top of that, piggybacking on a lot of the travel that we've had together, but also he's had on his own, where he's like he's doing it in a way that I think pays respect versus uh this this bastardized. I'm gonna I'm gonna you're joking around doing birria before is cool. Uh you know, Ernest doesn't is not following any trends. Ernest to me is setting the trend. He's he's creating things that people it takes people years to do and sometimes never fully execute and this fucking guy is doing it every sunday if he wants to you know i'm used to getting text messages pictures of his food at two three a.m in the morning it's like hey i'm gonna put this on the menu tomorrow what do you think i was like well uh that sounds fucking amazing uh how long you've been working on that sometimes it's a couple years sometimes well i just thought about it earlier today when i woke up and sometimes it's it's, it's kind of you know, frustrated in the sense is like this fucking guy is putting together dishes that that most people will never be able to create, and he's doing it like sometimes while while we're drunk uh, at at a place or we're hanging out, <laughs> and and he's like he's conjuring up these things, or like he's been refining it and he's been like in the shadows, kind of crafting these dishes, and he's not fully ready to put them on the menu yet until they're perfect, and both versions are phenomenal. I mean, you, you you went on a Sunday, and to me, that's the best day to go because you see kind of his heart, you know, kind of laid out there uh, on all these dishes. But then you go on, and his barbecue to me is almost an afterthought because I go on Sunday so often. But his barbecue is the the best there is as well. Uh, so he's taking whether it be the sides or these foundational dishes or stuff he's creating, and he's r- really amplifying not just barbecue, but but really comfort cuisine and i don't really know how to de- define it because it's undefined but it, it is in a, in, a, in a league of its own to me and you know when you talk about early on you, you kind of preface the question with, with aaron and some of the people who kind of came before you know whether it be sports or movies or whatever we all kind of have these generational figures that we kind of look up to whether basketball for example we had a kareem era then we have michael jordan era the lebron era and i think you see that that same kind of semblance in Texas barbecue, whereas we're passing torches. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time for that next person to kind of arrive. But to me, that next person arrived three years ago when when this fucking guy opened up his place. And I knew how great he was. And I'm not surprised. But yet at the same time, I'm continually surprised at how much he continues to push it every single week. He's not satisfied Whereas a lot of folks would be like, okay, I've made it, or I did this, okay, I can just go chill, be complacent. 
if anything, what, what concerns me about my, my, my good friend here is his mind is constantly going to the point is I wonder about his exhaustion because he's constantly pushing himself and his team to, to embark on new endeavors, but push that this cuisine and this culture forward while carrying the, the, the burden of his taking care of his family. Now his, the city is, is like piggybacking on him, but also everybody who, who kind of comes to Texas now has to go to burnt bean. It's a lot of pressure and he, he wears it well, but at the same time, it's a lot of fucking pressure. Well, let me, let me circle back because you, Robert mentioned the, the Sunday service and, and that, you know, that, that is how I found myself blasting down I-10 at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning to come see you. You so, wanted to come late and I told you to come early and I said, you got to get your ass out of bed. Well, yeah, you, you got to meet me Well, you said, yeah, you said, you called me as I happened to be driving in the car with my mother and you said, you got to get, really, you got to get there at 9 a.m., you know, like maybe, maybe 930, but, but really you want to be there by like nine. And so I'm, I'm doing the math and like looking on Google maps and I'm like, okay, that means, that means I have to be in front of Fulmer's house at 645 to get that Catching guy. Catching the girl bed. leaving his house at six at 650. Exactly right. So, <laughs> so, so we agree and we, because there's no, for people who don't know Robert, there's no telling him no, it's just not, that's just not how that works. He doesn't take no for an answer. So. But but Ernest, talk talk about that kind of aspect of the of your offerings because it it is so it is it is so special and it is on on any given Sunday. Sort of talk about like what you're what you're serving to people and and how it it really is kind of one of the things that makes burnt beans stand out. Yeah, well, I always you know I was always talking to Dave, uh, my partner, and and you know he he's like we, oh, I like it. He goes, this is the way we should do it. I'm like, yeah, but I told him, dude. I said, this restaurant would not be, uh, this is just a normal barbecue joint if we just do what we do every day. I really want to make it special and pay homage to my family on Sunday. I, I want to let y'all, basically what I'm doing is I'm inviting you to my house growing up on a Sunday morning after church. And 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 all these smells and aromas and the feelings and uh, the cuisine that we were raised on. And I've took in my grandparents and my parents' recipes and, and I've tweaked them to modern, but... Um, I invited you to my house and just basically like what you did when you came over to my place, you sat down and I brought the food out for you and I gave you what I want you to eat. Not what you wanted to eat, but what I wanted you to eat. And that's how it is at my place is that, you know, we get a lot of people like, Hey, can I get this instead? I'm like, no, there's no substitutions for anything other than a kid that's like under five and they want an egg scrambled egg. I can do that. But other than that, there ain't no shit that I'm, I'm substituting or another shit. You're gonna eat what I serve you because this is you're invited to my house. You're not gonna go to my grandma's house and say, Oh, can you just make me some toast and eggs? You know, if she has that in front of you, you're gonna eat it. And that's pretty much what I had here. It's just I wanted to pay homage to my family, but yet at the same time, I wanted to show you what my life was growing up in Uvalde, Texas, and the feelings, and, and you could feel it's basically uh you can see it as a is a soul food for us. A Mexican soul food, but the way it is, usually in that place, super loud and crazy. We call it the Mexican Waffle House because it's like a short order cooking and everything, man. And you got the music blaring in the background. But no, seriously, on a serious note, you're eating the cuisine that I was raised with. You're eating the tacos. You're eating the well, rancheros, except the Blue October, which the, the band showed up this week, which I was really pumped. Um, <laughs> so uh, that was really cool and special. Uh, but, uh, no, seriously. And, and it got and it, and I get to do it once a week where I can really spread my wings. And, and when I say spread my wings, my culinary wings, and, um, 
bringing some chef skills that I, I get to use and, and, and dishes I get to create that y'all get to try. And, and uh, you know, we got some cool ones coming on the menu this, this coming Saturday and Sunday, which we deal with quail. And we're going to do a lot of fallow this, this coming uh, week or two. Um, uh, we've got a lot of cool stuff like that. So, yeah, man, breakfast on Sundays is, is or brunch is, is what I want you to eat that I was raised with. And, you know, you got to try a lot of crazy things. Um, I, don't, I forgot, I think you had sweetbreads, and then, you, of course, you had traditional barbecue and what well, was on chairs. Yeah, there, were, and, there was uh, Mediterranean lamb ribs, right? And, yeah, that was that was actually because uh, uh, Bert from, uh, from L.A., and he brought some really cool chefs. And uh, and then the same thing with uh, Ben. He brought some guys, too, and, and uh, they, I did it a little bit different for them, but... Um, yeah, I did lamb ribs, and they uh, they loved it. And they said, "Just keep it on the menu," and that's what we did. And uh, and it's popular. Like people are like, "Dude, you know, they like your barbecue is really good, but then you got this other shit on the side that's just as good too." And uh, that those Moroccan lamb ribs are my favorite right now. Um, you know, I love our pork chop. Our pork chop. I don't think anybody can make a better pork chop than us. Uh, but everything else is just diverse, and and, and we're trying to show you that. Um, that is just not one-sided, man. We can go out, we can get you from everywhere. And again, all this shit comes from what I feel like eating, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's the bottom line is if I want to eat lamb ribs, we're going to eat lamb ribs this week. And, you know, uh, what, do we, what do we do? Well, prime example, Eric, I, we did Spam and potato tacos this week. Spam and potato, why? Because when I was raised with Spam and my mom would cut the potatoes a certain way, kind of like basically using a mandolin, but then you cut them in half and you pan fry them, get them crispy. Or called papas cerealitas, but then you get the pan, the, the 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 spam, and you, you get them crispy and a little salsa, and let the salsa absorb, and then you toss it. It's a phenomenal taco. But people are like, why would you think? Well, that's what I was raised with. And you should see how many people were like, "Holy shit, they got spam on the menu today!" And it brought memories of them growing up with spam, and we we sold out of that taco. It was the, and then people are like, "We got to do it again next week." And but you know, shit like that. We do crazy. We do weenies and eggs. You know, come on, who does that? You know, but, uh, you know. <laughs> but are you cooking them with a fork over the flame and and blacking the forks? And then you can hear in the back of our head getting yelled at. Don't be blacking my fucking forks. Yeah, hey, look, we're doing we're doing weenies and eggs and serving it on white bread, HB white bread. You know that that's how old school we're going here, man. But no, man. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, Eric, we we do what we want, and you uh, do what I feel like. I feel like I I cook what I want to eat most of the time. I will say, Eric, there are times the only modification I can have to, to Ernie's food is when I say, I don't want any onions, put them on the side because I just can't do onions. And he accommodates those times because yeah. he doesn't like onions either. Yeah, I don't like raw onions, man. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I have to ask. Clearly, your your culinary ambitions far exceed the world of barbecue. You know, you've got Seguin in the palm of your hand. I mean, are we like, when are you going to do a second restaurant that does something other than oh, barbecue oh man i've been i've already thought about it it's one of these things too like it's gonna happen and it's not gonna be barbecue and it's gonna be uh what i'm what my true passion is i guess you could say i'm not gonna let the cats out of the bag but barbecue was my number one and this one was just as equal as that and i'm really excited and eh, i'm looking about two three years from now but um get us drunk enough on a friday night eric and maybe Maybe we'll get a little tidbits, some hints. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll show up. Uh, All right, I might just call you and say, "Hey, come and check out this food I'm about to do," and it'd be it's going to be different. But uh, yeah, and and y'all see the other side of the earnest that no one's ever seen, so it's going to be fun, a lot of fun. Uh, Robert, I I mean, 
obviously we've been very barbecue heavy, but I feel like you're here and I wouldn't be, I would be remiss uh, if I didn't kind of leverage your experience in the spirits world to just ask you a little bit about kind of the state of Texas whiskey and, and kind of from your perspective, kind of, kind of where we are as a, as a, as a whiskey producing state and, and what, what you're most excited about right now uh, on that side of uh, your career. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a great question, but normally I like to just always push it back. Cause I just love talking about my friends, uh, it's, it's, which is why I, I think I'm pretty good at, at taking pictures. Cause I just like to highlight what other people are doing. Um, and then my, I had a couple conversations with my, PR people like you got to show them who you are so people can see what you look like. There's nobody really gives a shit about that. Um, but to answer your, to answer your question, Eric, uh, you know, so, so often, you know, people have this like fallacy that bourbon and, and there's some jokes tied to it. Well, I'll get to it. Bourbon can only be made in Kentucky. And for the most part, most of it is, but for the last you know 20 years, we've been messing around with it here, here in, here in Texas. And, you know, some of the people who make it will be the first to tell you that the first iterations weren't very good. You know, this is this is a, a, a climate unlike Kentucky. I mean, it's anybody who lives here, it's, it's, it's fucking hot in the summer. We have short, sometimes very cold winters, but, you know, abbreviated winters, but really prolonged summers. So it's taken some time to kind of really refine a lot of these these distilling methods and techniques that don't really translate from Kentucky or Tennessee to Texas. But I will tell you what we're producing here is it, lately is some pretty good bourbon. I mean, I have coincidentally, you ask, uh, and I'm not, I'm just what I'm drinking. It's still, still Austin. They're uh, Oded bourbon along with, uh, you know, Russell's reserve 10 and, you know, still Austin is, I think doing some phenomenal work, you know, Garrison brothers was, was the first uh, and they're re- refining and, and kind of learning um uh, methods along the way you know um in houston you have you know obviously yellow rose and whitmire's um you know up in dallas you have you know a couple places iron root we're doing some cool stuff i mean i don't even think we're scratching the surface in terms of what it's going to be like in 10 years we're still kind of in that learning phase uh so in, in a sense it's, it's kind of it's kind of cool to be in that part of history because none of us with exception for maybe you, Eric, because you're a little older than us, we're around in the 1700s in Kentucky when they were going through refining <laughs> bourbon. <laughs> I guarantee. No, no, let's be fair. That's that's Michael Fulmer's era. That's a little before my time. <laughs> well, we, 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 we can all agree that that back then it probably wasn't the best. Probably wasn't the best. And it's taken you know two three hundred years to kind of get to a product that's that's fantastic. And I and I love Kentucky bourbon. Don't get me wrong. But to be a part of this moment in time, and I hate that kind of cliche word, but we really are within Texas bourbon, you know, it'll be cool to say, you know, I was there in the beginning when it was just starting and it, it was fucking terrible, but look where it is now. And it's pretty damn good. So, you know, we're barely tapping, you know, four, five, six years in terms of quality barrels in this state, which in, in Kentucky, that's a, that's a very youthful bourbon. Uh, but here again, you know, the aging process is, is kind of truncated because we have such a prolonged, you know, summer phase where, where that, that, that bourbon is, is, is locked into the, into the wood staves a lot longer. So again, you know, I, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see where we go in, in the next, you know, five to 10 years to see where we end up. You know, I know we got a lot of smart people here in the, in the state. Um, but I think a lot of that, all the, a lot of the good bourbon that is coming out these days is a function for making a lot of fucking bad bourbon. 
and you know them realizing that they can't take methods from these other states and apply them here. And I think what what they've learned is we're blazing our own trail here, trying to do our own thing here. And time will tell, you know, how good it is. But you know, what what is occurring now is pretty damn good. And you know, we have um, a distillery here in Austin, Fierce Whiskers, who's about to release their first, you know, bourbon in in May. It's a three and a half year old bourbon that they you know grain and glass, which means that they've distilled it, aged it in their bottling here in Austin. And what they're what we're seeing now from from and that's a unique rickhouse. It looks like a Kentucky style rickhouse where it's just four four stories. Is wow, this is, there's so much potential here with, it, with with this with this expression already. So again, to kind of circle it back, I think the best is yet to come. Whereas you know, if you tie it back to barbecue. You know, we kind of had this this lull dormant period for a long time. And then here comes Aaron, and then here comes Leonard, here comes you know Tootsie now Ernest. We're having these these creators kind of embark on on, on this path, but, but with bourbon. And you know, time will tell where we get down the road. But I, I'm pumped. And you know, the worst thing is 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 trying these things because you know, at a certain point, you know, they all taste pretty damn good after you're like five, six deep, anyways. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you become a lot less discriminating on the on the fifth one than you were yeah. on the first. And so let me just, you know, I, I knew this was going to be a long one, but but I don't want to I don't want to keep you guys for too long. But but tell me a little bit about Ernest and, and Robert as you kind of survey the the Texas barbecue scene. I mean, I have I mean, I have a sense that at least in Houston, it feels like we have we have so much more barbecue than we ever did when I was growing up or when, you know, we're about to celebrate 10 years of Killen's barbecue in the next uh, month or so. It's like, there's so much change. What do, what do you kind of see as next or, or what's, what's exciting for you in this world now where it seems like we've, we've come so far, but there's still more to go. Well, well to me, it, it's what you've kind of tapped on already with what's, what's occurring, what, what has been occurring in Houston, probably even more so than any other part of the country you have this like organic, really natural proclivity for these people who have their backgrounds to draw from those, their, their, their history, their culture. You have blood brothers, for example, you have, you have Don, you know, Coy, who's about to, you know, eventually open up his new, new place. You have so much innovation that to me kind of started in a lot of places, Houston. I mean, and I think I think that that was lend itself because Houston Houston is such a, a a melting pot of cuisine that you had naturally that these people from various backgrounds really start to go towards barbecue the way they saw it growing up. You know whether again whether it be the Blood Brothers or or, or Coy or or even like you know um, Ephesus, you know you know Patrick and Aaron were some of the first ones to really apply their culinary technique and experience to refine barbecue. Um, you know, we have Evan Leroy here who's about to open up his, his brick and mortar here uh, in Austin. So I, I, I do think there's going to be a lot more of, of that where you see people kind of pushing barbecue towards not being so one dimensional, you know, to, personally, I get bored if I'm going to, if I'm eating brisket ribs and, and sausage, every fucking place I go to. If I'm just eating, you know, a, a same note, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, I can appreciate the quality, but you know, diversity kind of gets a bad rap. But I, I, I certainly appreciate diversity in, in taste and diversity and in, in, in kind of approach, and I get that more so than any other place 
uh, aside from Ernest's place, when I go to Houston. So one of the reasons why I love going there is because I can go to all these places and eat barbecue, but not have the same flavor profile, the same dish. And to me, that's exciting. Ernest, what about you? What are you, what are you, what is you kind of look at your peers in the barbecue world? Like who has your attention? Who do you think is going to kind of make their mark in the next, say, couple of years? Um, man, there's so many great places, but the one thing that Narma brought up that that's what made it us, uh, who we are is if you saw barbecue 20 years ago, when you thought of barbecue, it had to be a certain, you know, potato salad, beans, that all these things. But a lot of us in a lot of different cultures had our own version of what barbecue was. And now it's accepted as a norm and it's okay to do it. You know, you have, you know, you have the blood brothers and then you have Patrick and them, and then you have Koi, which is bringing out his style of Vietnamese barbecue. I'm bringing out South Texas Valentina's and showing us and teaching you a story about our, our cuisine. And, you know, being raised, and now people are like, oh my God, this barbecue is amazing. Well, it's always been there, but we're showing you what it's about. You know, I'm excited for, you know, KG, you know, Koi barbecue, Mums, I want to go try out tomorrow. You know, the Valley's got some heavy hitters that are coming up. Uh, GW's down there are being diverse. And I don't know, man, there's so many cool guys. And and the problem with me is I'm such a hermit that I don't go out very often because I'm so, you know, in my own world that I, I don't really see what else is going on in the world of barbecue. But there's there's going to be places that are, oh, there's another place that that's making like homemade barbacoa, lamb barbacoa in a hole. Like it's, it's like towards Austin or something like that, too, that are coming Georgetown. up. Yeah, Georgetown, there you go. They're coming up. They're just gonna, Eric, there's gonna be so many new guys coming out with these great barbecue joints that are not just traditional barbecue. That's what's gonna make it epic. I think what you say was the future. The future you're gonna see is all these ethnic groups and uh, cultures, as well as even Texas cultures that we've been doing in the backyard. And now they're willing to come out of the shell because it's okay to do it. I don't think 10 years ago that would not have been the norm and been accepted, but now anything's being accepted and and and, and encouraged and loved. And nurtured now they can grow and be supported by the community and by other barbecues and not say oh that's not barbecue you know you can't do it but now everybody's it's okay to do these things and i think that's what a lot of our success is, is that people have have developed and, and acknowledge and say this is okay to do that it's accepted so barbecue it might not just be barbecue what we're traditionalizing in the next five years i think it's gonna be so diverse that it might have its own own type of, uh, of wording, but it's going to be really cool. And I'm excited. You know, the days, the days of just having brisket on the menu might be gone because of prices too. Look at what happened to Roy. He only does it once a week and it's accepted, you know? So that's a great yeah, point that yeah. you make Ernie. I, I hope it's so, I think at the end of the day, I think the, the, the constant, I hope it just still revolves around live fire. I yes, hope I don't you know, down the road see a bunch of you know, you know sous vide machines in a barbecue place, because right. uh, to me, uh, but but what what Ernie is talking about, and I'm going to challenge Ernie uh, 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 on what he said a little bit. I don't think everybody can get away with what Ernie does, with what Evan does, with what Patrick does, or or you know Don or or, or Blood Brother or, or people along those lines. I think that they do it in a way that first off they've they've established trust with their consumers so that they're, they're more apt to try new things. You don't see that in a lot of places, you know, where they can pivot and, and try a new things and not have resistance from, you know, their their clientele that is historically sometimes just rooted in that community. 
you know, and I know, you know, I've talked with with Wayne and Carrie about these challenges. I mean, Carrie couldn't go go serve, you know, uh, you know, you know, Bidia or 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 ramen. I mean, he could, I suppose, but it would be a, a little off brand. Yeah, yeah, and just for people, Carrie Bexley, who's the owner of Snows. Yeah, that would be yeah. Birria, Birria would be weird at Snows. <laughs> I want to just hear him say Birria. I want to see Carrie say Birria. I got Birria today. I just love his accent. But I think what what Ernie does is, is he's he's established himself to the point where whereas as with like some of these other folks is they can try and and go a little avant garde style cooking under the under the, under the, again the framework of barbecue and people are more inclined to try it. Whereas, you know Ernie puts a dish in front of me or, or somebody who hasn't had that exposure is more than likely going to try it at Ernie's place versus a place that they go to where they their expectation is going to be X Y or Z and that's it. So I think if anything, when I de- do a deeper dive into why he's special is because he 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 really has built a trust, trusting relationship with his consumers where they know when they go there, they're getting something that's authentic, that's real, that's that's rooted in passion, and it's going to be executed damn near f- fucking flawless. It's going to be fantastic. And the same thing goes for some of these other people. And I think that's what works well for them. Um, so I hope there's a lot more risk embracing where people will want to try these, these new things. Cause at the end of the day, I don't, you know, the challenging thing, where is it going to be in five, 10 years, Eric, the reality is I don't think a lot of these places are going to survive. I mean, with, with the current economic challenges that are going on in the country, you know, th- at the end of the day, there's not enough dollars to sometimes go around to, to make it advantageous for people to operate in bar- barbecue is hard. You know, there, there are people who are, you know, cooking, 12, 16, sometimes, you know, 20 hours a day. And the, you know, the, the joke is, well, why can't you just make more? Well, that's, that's a sincere, sincere ignorance amongst some, some people. They just don't understand that you can't just go make more brisket if you run out. And from a brisket standpoint, you can't, it's not sustainable for Ernie to buy five, $6 a pound brisket and then in turn charge 36, $40 a pound for brisket for, for, for a clientele that's historically blue collar that doesn't have a lot of disposable income that can't sustain a $200, $100, you know, ticket to take their family. So the community has to get, to get a lot more creative. And if I tie it back to somebody we talked about earlier, I think what John Brotherton did five, six years ago with, with sandwiches was at, at, at the time, you know, very novel and unique. He was making some of the most creative sandwiches at, at, at Brotherton's that really kind of, when he started looking at and surveying the clientele, like, okay, I can't, I can't get by on, on briskets fucking expensive. I mean, it was expensive then. So we started to pivot a little bit and, and, and what he came up with was some of the most creative, innovative sandwiches there were. So I don't know if that works for everybody, but it worked for him. And I think everybody's going to have to look into what they can do creatively to really sustain and weather right now is a, a very challenging economic climate. I totally agree. I totally agree. I, you know, we, we do our math every time and people are like, oh, you know, people say, oh, do you sell a lot of brisket? I'm like, yeah, we do. But I shun every time I say that because we don't make any money off our briskets. We make our money off everything else um, from the trimmings to any pork products or anything else. So being creative to keep the lights on right now as we're weathering the storm and it's a storm that we thought would be over by now, but we're not. You know, let's keep it real. This is this is the clientele we do have. And especially like how he says. Seguin is nothing but um, blue collar workers. You know, we got so many factories out here 
So we depend as well as the, you know, the people coming to visit us and things like that. But, and I think that's why you see, you know, barbecue being diverse too, is that they're, they're adapting to the times just like anything else. Uh, you know, I've read some articles about fine dining and things like that, that, you know, might be going away, you know, and it has maybe a lot to do with the consumer. So we, we, as the tides change, we change, but I try to keep it discreet, I guess you could say, you know, from us suffering, but um, it's inevitable, but uh, we just keep driving every day and uh, working hard every day. And like how you said, barbecue is not for, for the, 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 the easy, if you want to get famous, go get famous selling hot dogs or something else because yeah, go, know, make, bar- go make smash burgers, right? That's a lot yeah, simpler. Exactly. You can get there at eight o'clock in the morning. You know, my day starts at one thirty-two every day. And sometimes it doesn't end until 10 o'clock at night, sometimes later. And we get up and do it again and get up and do it again. I remember I had a camera crew that I told them what our schedule was going to look like. And they were excited. They were there at two in the morning and they're like, okay, we're done. I'm like, no, that's just service. we got to keep on going. You know, just because service is done doesn't mean we're done. I said, if you want to follow the day in the life of what I do, you know, stay with me. And they stay till 1030. And then we were done and they were dead. And then the next, I said, see you in about four hours. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and uh, they didn't show up until one o'clock the next day. said, oh, we have enough food. You know, they're making excuses, but they didn't, they, they were supposed to follow me the whole weekend and they didn't because they couldn't handle it they're like i don't know how you can do it every day and you're happy and you're excited and i've never seen a guy that big have so much energy in my life and um i said you know it it has a lot to do with you you have to love what you do and i love what i do i love what i do every single day and people that are in this industry that do it it's for the love not for the fame because i don't have a publicist and i don't have all these most popular instagram studs like ilarma does he's got like a million followers but I, I do it because I love to do this every day. I, I get to live out my dream and um, and to see people line up and to see people like you to come to my restaurant. And I see you smiling when you eat my food. That makes it worth it. And to tell you, at the end of the day, what it's all about, Eric, is my story. I'm telling you a story of my life and you're eating it every day. Um, it's a story about how I was raised. It's a story about what I feel every morning. And, and what's going through my head. But I try to tell you a story with my food and hopefully you'd like to lead, read the next chapter and the next chapter and the next. How is that not romantic, Eric? How is that I not know. romantic? I mean, seriously, I want to take my shirt off right now and throw on some Al Green. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't three o'clock in the daytime. I'd be turning down the lights. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good place to wrap this up. Gentlemen, I, I thank you. I thank you for doing this. I thank you for your time. I, I guess plug, Robert, plug, Plug your website, plug your Instagram feed, plug whatever you want to plug. My plug is my name, robertjacoblerma.com, at robertjacoblerma. Uh, you'll see a lot of pretty faces and Ernie on there. Uh, a lot of meat, a lot of booze, a lot of cigars, if any of that kind of thing. Ernest, give everybody the, the website for, for Burnt Bean and, and your Instagram and all that stuff. It's theburntbeancompany.com. On Instagram, it's theburntbeancompany. Um, and then on Facebook, too. On Instagram, I'm uh, the Pope of Barbecue, and that's my that's my handle, and you can find me on there too on Instagram. All right, well, gentlemen, thanks for doing this. It was so much fun. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Eric. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on CultureMap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.